Welcome to the CWCCS podcast with Pastor Al Pittman from Colorado Springs, Colorado. Today we continue the act series picking up in chapter 13. According to Pastor Al, there is a but God or a divine intervention for every believer and that finding our dependence on God ultimately liberates our soul from the tyranny of sin. Throughout history, God has been faithful to meet us in our doubts, fears, and failures, drawing us towards Him and a glorious future. Let's go now to Pastor Al Pittman for today's message, Declaration of Dependence. God bless those of you who are up in the overflow area. I saw some of you going up there today as well, and so glad that you could all be here with us. Acts chapter 13, we'll be looking at verses 13 to 41 today. And uh, I've entitled this message in light of this uh, 4th of July weekend, A Declaration of Dependence. A little play on words, all right? The 4th of July, of course, is a federal holiday commemorating the Declaration of Independence of the United United States on July the 4th, 1776. It was actually declared, the declaration was given on July the 2nd, but not officially declared until July the 4th, so two days before, just FYI, amen. Uh, But June, July the 4th, 1776, and um, the... Continental Congress, as many of you know, uh, declared the 13th, uh, 13, rather 13, the 13 American colonies are, were no longer subject to the monarch of Britain, that is King George III, and we're now united and free independent states. Now, I go through that little history lesson because, you know, we can't always depend on our schools to teach history sometimes. Amen. So just in case you didn't know, now you know. Amen. In our text, Paul makes a declaration of freedom as well. Not of independence, but dependence upon God. Dependence which liberates the soul from the tyranny of sin. True liberation. Amen. And so we began our text by looking at verses, our message today by looking at verses 13 to 15. Verses 13 to 15 sets the stage, if you will. So read along with me. And the Bible says, now when Paul and his party set sail for Paphos, from Paphos, they came to Pergma, Perga in Pamphylia, And John, departing them, returned to Jerusalem. John, Mark, that is Mark, became homesick and decided, I'm going home. Amen. He went back to Jerusalem. But when they departed from Perga, they came to Antioch of Pisidia and went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and sat down. And after the reading of the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent to them uh, and, and said, saying to them, men and brethren, if you have any word of exhortation for the people, say on. Amen. Uh, don't give a preacher an opportunity to say on, all right? Because he will say on. So Paul jumps at the opportunity here, as we will see in just a moment. But um, they leave, just to kind of give you a little uh, somewhat geography lesson, they leave uh, Cyprus and they go to Perga. Perga is on the southern, in the southern region along the Mediterranean coast and what was known then as the Roman province of Pamphylia along the southern coast of modern day Turkey. 
and then, of course, they leave from Perga and they go up to Antioch of Pisidia, which was an interesting city. It was actually uh, an important first century commercial center at this particular time. So not a, a little hick town, but a commercial center. Uh, the principal pagan deity, uh, the principal pagan deity of this region was the, what is called the Phrygian goddess, Phrygian goddess by the name of Cabelli. It's pronounced Cabelli, but it's spelled C, excuse me, C-Y-B-E-L-E. Uh, Phrygia was the region of, uh, in the center there of Turkey or Asia Minor, uh, as it was known as the Phrygian uh, region or Phrygia. Um, in mythology, a little bit about this goddess, uh, Cabelli, uh, it was, um, was the goddess of healing, fertility, and protection in time of war. She was considered the personification of something we hear about a lot in this day and time, and that is of Mother Earth. And the mother of all gods, humans, animals, and plants. In other words, creation. And, uh, of course, God would have a problem with that. Amen. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Amen. Now, the reason I bring this out up is because I want you to understand that, you know, sometimes we think, oh, the days that we live in are so horrible. Man, Paul was facing a whole lot more godlessness in societies that he tried to share the gospel in than we ever have at this point. I mean, our society is becoming even more and more godless, but they face great obstacles. They faced it in Cyrus or Cyprus, as we saw last time that uh, the the goddess Venus, uh, uh, um, Aphrodite, was worshipped in Cyprus. And now here they are in uh, the region of uh, the Roman uh, region of, of Pamphylia, got Antioch of Pisidia, and there's, there's more pagan worship going on even there uh, with this goddess. Uh, on the Sabbath, they go into the uh, synagogue. And they sit down, and then they get an opportunity to share. And so Paul jumps at the chance, as I said, to share the gospel. I don't know if Barnabas was going to share, but Paul just leaps up or whatever. But he shares, it takes, he jumps at the chance to share the gospel. And in our message, in this message, in his message, I should say, Paul's message, because that's what we're doing, we're examining his sermon, uh, he really uh, takes his audience along three paths that I call them, paths. Number one, he takes the historical path. Number two, he takes the responsibility path. Number three, he takes what I call the interventional path as well and makes his case for liberation through dependence upon Jesus Christ alone. Amen. The historical path is in verses 16 to 25, and I won't read through all those verses, but I just want to give you the highlights of the verses. We'll go by it by verse by verse, but just to give you a gist of what he is speaking about in each one of these um, uh, verses, in verses 16 to 25, I call it the historical path because what he does is he begins to talk about Israel's history. Now, Paul is a masterful communicator in that he's finding common ground that all these the Jews in the synagogue, because Paul being a Jew himself, that they can all agree on. Amen. And, uh, you know, he finds that common ground uh, uh, so he can communicate with his audience. He begins the history lesson by starting with uh, Israel's time in Egypt and their deliverance by the hand of Moses in verse 17. And um, 
verse 18 and 19, he moves on from there and he, he says, you know, talks about the conquest of Canaan when God took the children of Israel across the Jordan River into the land of Canaan, the land of Israel, and he gave them the land and they defeated the enemies or the inhabitants of Canaan at that time, which were seven nations. The seven nations of Canaan, FYI, uh, are listed in Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 1. If you, you know, wanted to know who the seven nations were, it's listed there, Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 1. And he moves on, and I'm sure as he's sharing this stuff with uh, this history lesson with his audience, that they're sitting there, you know, all the Jews knew the history, saying amen. And maybe he had an amen section, amen, I don't know. But uh, but they were agreeing with him. And then he moves on to, in verses 20 to 22, he talks about the period of judges before Israel had a king. And then he talked about the first king, it was King Saul. And then uh, to succeed him was King David. And he said about 450 years, in verse 20, after that, he says, after that, he gave them, God gave them, that is Israel, judges for about 450 years until the prophet Samuel. He's estimating 450 years from the, from the uh, birth of Isaac to the prophet Samuel is where he's, he's, what he's estimating and calculating here. And uh, because that was the time when God, as some theologians say, properly chose Israel because, remember, God rejected Ishmael, but he chose uh, Isaac. Amen? So from the time of Isaac, and then out of Isaac came Jacob, and Jacob, uh, the father of the 12 tribes of Israel. So Israel started with God choosing Isaac, uh, uh, the, the son of promise, if you will, uh, at that time. So he's estimating 450 years. Where did he choose Isaac? Uh, in Scripture, well, it's in Genesis 17, verse 19. You go back and read that, but for your uh, reference, there it is, Genesis 17, 19. Now in verse 23, continuing his history lesson, and Paul reminds him of the fact that the Messiah would be of the lineage of David. And I'm sure they're sitting there they're going, amen, because it says that in Isaiah chapter 11, verses 1 and 2, and Jeremiah 23, verses 5 and 6. So this history lesson continues. And finally, he comes to the testimony of John the Baptist. Now, probably most, of, a lot of the people in his audience uh, knew who John the Baptist was. He was a popular figure uh, before uh, Christ came on the scene, and and uh, he was preaching repentance to Israel. And people were coming out to be baptized by John the Baptist and all. And but he, you know, and no one wanted to refute John because he was re, uh, preaching repentance uh, for Israel, uh, uh, for Israel to repent. And to come back to God. That's a great message for Israel to come back to God. And so nobody would really refute him, uh, his testimony. So when um, uh, Paul shared here about John the Baptist, they were, I'm sure, nodding their heads too, going, yeah, he was calling us back to God. He was, you know, uh, definitely somebody that they were in agreement with. In verses 24 and 25, let's read that together, where he says, and after John had preached uh, before his coming, that is before the coming of Jesus, the baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. And he says, as John was finishing his course, that is before John was beheaded, he said, who do you think I am? John asked the people, who do you think I am? And then he said, and I am not he, I am not the Messiah, as some people were saying about John the Baptist. But behold, there comes one after me, the sandals of whose feet I am not worthy to loose. He was talking about Jesus. And remember, when John saw Jesus come to be baptized, he said, behold, the Lamb of God, 
who takes away the sins of the world. Amen? Amen. So, so, they, so, so again, understand what Paul is doing here, bringing them along with this history lesson, and they're sitting and nodding, just like you were saying. They were saying, amen, amen, <laughs> you know. And, but he's bringing them in. He's reeling, reeling them in to uh, the truth. And I believe he's also sharing this history lesson with them for, for three reasons. One I've already alluded to, but I want to go over those with you quickly. And a, and a good reason why we should not forget our history as well, I think. But number one, history provides a sense of solidarity. Uh, Paul wanted, again, to connect with his audience uh, on common ground. And when you think about it, the history of any nation, the history of any people, your, your family, your lineage, you know, you got some folks in your lineage you probably don't want to talk about, amen, but, the, but the, you relate it to them, amen, come on. And, uh, but that is when you come to family reunions, you're united over what? Your history. And, and a people and a nation is united over their history. Uh, today, of course, we have people who want to destroy America's history. Uh, they want to blot out our nation's history. They want to paint with a broad brush everything in the past and tear down, you know, uh, statues and all these different things. And I'm not here to debate all of that. That's not my point. My point is, is that, you know, here's the deal, that if we tear down our history, the only thing left is division. And Jesus said that a house divided will not stand. Amen? A nation that is divided will not stand. And the generation that erases its past is doomed to repeat, to repeat it. Amen? And, uh, you know, I was watching, a, uh, reading an article, actually, it's about uh, some teenage girls, about three of them, and it was on TikTok. Now, I don't know anything about TikTok. Amen? Come on, young people. You know about TikTok? Anybody here? Young folks? Come on. Don't leave your brother hanging out here. Come on. Raise your hand. <laughs> Nobody knows about TikTok. Only TikTok, TikTok I know is a, is a clock, amen? You guys never heard of TikTok? Come on, amen. All right, yeah, you on it all the time. I can like, I don't know what, he, I don't know what he's talking about. <laughs> but on this TikTok thing, I mean, it's great. It's a great platform for sharing the gospel, for sharing your testimony or whatever. So, you know, if you're on there, I mean, you know how to use it. Use it to the glory of God, amen? Uh, but they're on there on this TikTok thing. And, and what they said, you know, it was kind of, silly to me and uh but then i i thought well consider the source these little teenage girls i've got corns on my feet that are older than they are and uh so you know they have a lot more living to do amen uh but they said this they said you know what on the fourth of july don't dress up in red white and blue because it's racist <laughs> i said who's been skipping their history classes because it's racist rather Let's wear rainbow colors. Amen. We live in that day and time where good is called evil and evil is called good. But when we condemn and put and, and, and try to erase our past, we don't know who we are. And it leads to division. Even in the church, history is important. In the church, we are united through our common history, our, our, the historicity, if you will, of Jesus Christ. We believe in his birth and his death, his life, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. 
which is recorded in history. Some people want to take away the, the, the historical Jesus. Oh, Jesus didn't even exist. Well, you need to read the writings of Josephus and other secular uh, uh, historians who speak of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. He is a historical figure, and the historicity of Jesus, it, it, it causes us in the church to, to, to have co be cohesive or to have unity around the centrality of Jesus Christ. But we believe in the history of Jesus Christ. That's what gives us unity within the church. So history is important even in the church. The centrality of Jesus is essential to our unity, not our politics, not our opinion, not what we wear, not the color of our skin, but the centrality of Christ. We believe in the historicity of Jesus Christ. Amen. And it is only through the centrality of Jesus that Paul can make the statement in Galatians 3 verse 28, where he says, there is neither Jew nor Greek, that is Gentiles, and there is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female, for we are all one in Christ Jesus. Amen. That's our unity. Our unity is in Christ. And so, but it's, it's based again, my point, on the historicity of Jesus Christ. We believe he exists. We believe he, he lived. We believe in his righteousness. We believe he died. We believe he rose again on the third day. Amen. Now, Paul brought his audience together through their common history, just as we are brought together and united in Christ. But he does it to bring them along. He's, gonna, he's bringing them down a path here. But here's the second reason that I believe that Paul shares the history is because history also glorifies God. He's glorifying God. They cannot deny that God is not, has not been glorified through Israel. And so Paul reiterates their history, and, and, and it glorifies the Lord. In Israel's history, the glory of God is throughout the history of Israel. You read through the Old Testament, and it's revealed through the faithfulness of God, despite the unfaithfulness of Israel. God remained faithful to them, and therefore God is glorified. So I'm sure as he's sharing this, you know, they're nodding their heads about the history of, of, uh, of God and his relationship with Israel. That is God's faithfulness that has brought them through, and therefore God is glorified. And so it is with us. So it is with us personally, so it is with us nationally as a nation. When we look back at the history of your life, Yes, I'm talking the good, the bad, and the ugly. It really glorifies the Lord. That God has brought us such a mighty long way because of his great grace and his faithfulness. Many of you know what I'm talking about. You're sitting here today because of the faithfulness of God. It wasn't your faithfulness, but his faithfulness in your life. Amen. And as you look back, you don't look back to dwell on the past, but as you look back, it glorifies the Lord to say, nobody but God brought me this far. Amen? And it's the same thing with our nation. We don't want to forget our history because we look back and see, oh, we're not what we ought to be, but thank God we're not what we used to be. Look how far God has brought us. Amen? And that's what we give God thanks for because of the glory of God. There's no way that America was birthed without the, 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 the power of God, without the sovereignty of God. Facing down the greatest world power, the, 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 the British government, the English at that time. 
There's no way that we could go through a civil war and be torn apart as a nation and yet be reunited, but by the grace of God. There's no way that we could go through all those world wars and all the, the financial troubles and, the, and all the, the racial upheaval and all of that and still be a nation only by the grace of God. It would have tore apart any other nation in the world, but by the grace of God. Amen. We are still here today. So you don't just get rid of all the ugly and the bad things, but all of it works together for good to those who love God and who are called according to his purpose. So we don't want to erase the the ugly. Let's remember where God has brought us from. We remember it all, the good, bad, and the ugly. David knew something about that. David's life, (laughs) he experienced the good, the bad, and the ugly. I mean, he committed adultery. He got a woman knocked up. Amen. I'll just tell her the way it is. Amen. And then wanted to hide the, the, the crime and had her husband killed. And yet the Bible says he was a man after God's own heart. I'm saying, say what? Yes, a man after God's own heart. Why? Because David knew how to fall in the right direction. See, a lot of things at times when people mess up, they run away from God. No, fall in the right direction. His grace is sufficient for you. And David understood God's mercy and God's grace. Uh And David understood that it wasn't him, but it was God. He cried out in Psalm 51, take not your Holy Spirit from me. In his song of thanksgiving, he said this. First Chronicles chapter 16, seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his face evermore. Remember his marvelous works, which he has done, his wonders and the judgments, the word of his mouth. Amen. Amen. Man, may God help us to seek the Lord, to know, understand. Don't forget what God did for you. Don't, don't get so proud as a Christian that you've forgotten where God brought you from. Amen. God found you in the gutter and pulled you out and made something out of your life. Amen. Don't, don't forget that. Don't forget his wonderful work. You thought that you were doing, doing it. You thought it was all your education and your expertise and your good looks. I'm here to tell you, amen, it wasn't you. It was the grace of God that has brought you out. And when we remember those things, we glorify his name. Hey God, thank you. The good for the good and the bad. Yes, Lord. And yes, even the ugly. Because the good and the bad and the ugly is what makes you who you are today. People go, how did you get to be so wise? And then made a lot of mistakes. <laughs> a lot of mistakes. And kept falling in the right direction. Amen? And your life will bring glory to God. Paul's audience had to concede to God be the glory. Here's the third reason why he's sharing this, this history with them. And they're sitting here nodding and all. And that is that history provides hope for the future. He was reminding them of their hope. Maybe many in Israel at this time had forgotten their hope, the hope, the promise of the Messiah. But Israel's history, when you study it, is a roadmap to the revelation of Christ, the eternal hope of Israel, the eternal hope of the world. In Christ, you have a future. He's the God of all hope. It was Thomas Jefferson, and I thought I'd quote a president because it's 4th of July. Amen. 
The third president of the United States, he said this. He said, I like the dreams of the future better than the history of the past. Amen. A lot of people are too busy looking back, so much so that they can't move forward. It's the dreams of the future that propel us forward. The key to moving forward in the future is not allowing your past to define your present. Some people allow their past to define their present. You see. My ancestors were a slave, but I ain't no slave. And I ain't going to live like a slave. Amen? I'm going to demand my rights. Amen? But some people still back in slavery. We're not back there anymore. I'm not going to let my past define. I can learn from my past, but it doesn't define who I am today. What defines who I am today is not where I've been, they said. It's where you're going that counts. What defines me is Jesus Christ, the cross. Amen? I set my eyes on him. He's the author and the finisher of my faith. Amen? And so a lot of people can't move forward because they're too busy letting the past define who they are. You know, I was a loser. I did this. I, you know, I, I got a criminal record, whatever. And that's, it. that's not who you are. You're a brand new creation in Jesus Christ. Amen? All things are passed away. Behold, all things become brand new. Don't let your past define your present. And Paul the Apostle said it best in Philippians chapter 3, Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do. Break it down to you. There's only one thing you can do about your past. You can't fix it. I mean, you can't go back to that time in 1975 with your bell-bottoms and platform shoes. You can't do it. That's the past. That's the past. You can't go back there. There's only one thing you can do about the past. Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to the things which are ahead. I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Stop trying to go back. Amen. History reminds us that we need to move forward. The history of Israel reminds them of their hope that lies before them. As we read the word of God, it's to remind us of our hope that, that lies before us, the hope in Christ that lies before us. Paul said, you know, the, these present sufferings, he said, I, don't, I count them as nothing because of the joy that is set before me. They're not to be compared with the glorious things that God has set before us. Amen. Keep looking forward. Thus, for Paul's audience, this history lesson opened their eyes. When you think about it, he was reminding them of their eternal hope. So he takes them down the path of hope. And secondly, he takes them down the path of what I call the responsible path, the path of responsibility, if you will. And uh, verses 26 to 29, there he says, men and brethren, because what he does here is he calls them to be accountable. He says, men and brethren, sons of the family of Abraham and those among you who fear God. To you, the word of this salvation, the hope that we have of a promised Messiah, a Savior, is has been sent to you. Verse 27, for those who dwell in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not know him, nor even the voices of the prophets, which are read Every Sabbath have fulfilled them in condemning him. Let me go back and unpack that, all right? And though they found no cause for death in Jesus, 
they asked Pilate, Pontius Pilate, that he should be put to death. Now, when they had fulfilled, underline that word fulfilled, all, all, all that was written concerning him, they took him down from the tree, from the cross, and laid him in a tomb. Hallelujah. But that wasn't the end of the story, was it? <laughs> Paul reminds them here that you have been entrusted with the word, the promise of God, the promise of salvation. In other words, God chose Israel, not because Israel was better than anybody else, but he chose them to be the nation through which he would bring forth the promise of a savior. Mankind needed a savior for the very time in the Garden of Eden when the first, they first committed sin. We needed a savior. We need someone to come and to atone for our sins. So God had promised that, and he said he would deliver that Savior through the nation of Israel. And so he calls them to account. And then in verse 27, however, you know, they, they rejected the Lord. Verse 27, 27 says they rejected the Lord. They rejected their own Messiah. Although they'd heard the words of the prophets and the prophecies about the Messiah every Sabbath day, every week. Sabbath day being on Saturday. And so it is with a lot of people who call themselves Christians. They come to church, they've heard sermon after sermon after sermon, and never coming to the knowledge of the truth. Just as the rulers, the religious rulers in Jerusalem and the Jews heard about, you know, the, the coming Messiah and all that and reading from the law of Moses and all that, you know, week after week on the Sabbath, and yet never, and when Jesus came on the scene, yet they rejected him. Wow. Because they were not listening to the word. Some people, you know, you hear a sermon, but are you really listening? Like a lot of Christians, they come and they've heard plenty of sermons, but they're not really listening. And on that day, Jesus said, they will say to me, Lord, Lord. And Jesus will say, I never knew you. Depart from me, you worker of iniquity. Oh, you knew about Jesus. You came and you heard sermons about Jesus. You knew of Jesus, but he never knew you because you were never born again. And so we can hear, but are we really listening? Jesus said, those who have an ear, let them hear what the Spirit of God is saying to the church. They were coming every Sabbath and could not hear. And their hearts had grown wicked is what happened. It is the wicked heart which renounces the word it has heard. And the Bible says in Psalm 10, verse 13, why do the wicked renounce God? Here's why. He has said in his heart, you, O oh God, will not require an account. The Bible says that we will all give an account before God. You mark my words on it. We will all give an accounting to God. But the wicked heart says... <laughs> God's not going to require an account from me. And Paul is reminding them here, oh, yes, he will. You are responsible. You've been entrusted with the word of God. And I'm here to tell you, I'm accountable for every word I preach, and you're accountable for every word you hear. And that you read on your own or whatever. We are accountable to the Lord. In verses 27, 28, and 29, again, they had rejected Christ. They'd even crucified the Lord. But they're only working 
to fulfill <laughs> the preordained will of God. And that just blows my mind. I mean, it puts things in perspective when I see people, you know, in the streets and all the violence and the vitriol and the hatred and all this, and people just screaming and yelling. And I'm thinking, you know, you're just working according to God's will. It's not God's will for you to be violent and all that, but your hatred, all it's doing is, is you're just falling in line with his real, his will. People hated Jesus. They spat in his face. They plucked his beard out. They slapped him. They did all these things and called him names and mocked him and all that on his way to Calvary. They crucified him on the cross and all that. We got him now. <laughs> but you can't keep a good man down, can you? Amen. They thought they had him. And all they were doing all the time, they're working according to God's will. When you're shaking your fists at God, when you're mad at God, when you're screaming at God, you know, you're just angry with God, and you're cussing God out, all that. Guess what? God is going to have the last word. And everything that mankind is doing right now is heading us directly toward the book of Revelation. Just as he said it would. And we can pontificate and we can, we can curse and we can pass bills and we can do all these things. But God is going to have the last word. And so here they were rejecting Jesus and all of that. The Bible says that he would, he would be rejected. It was prophesied he would be rejected. Didn't somebody go back and look at Isaiah chapter 53 and go, well, well hold on. The Bible says we would reject him. The Bible says there in Isaiah 53 verse 3, he would be despised and rejected by his own people. And the Bible tells us that he would be crucified. Where does it say that? It tells us in detail, Psalm 22. Go back and read it. That he would be nailed. That his clothing would be gambled over. That his legs would not be broken. Not a bone in his body was broken. When he were hanging on the cross, people would die from asphyxiation. Uh, they would suffocate to death. Because they couldn't push, you know, if they couldn't push themselves up. But as long as they could push themselves up with their feet, they'd catch a breath, slump back down. Well, they went to the two thieves. What did they do to them? Remember, they took out that huge billy club. Broke their legs so they could no longer push up again. So they'd suffocate and die. They came to Jesus to break his legs. He was already dead. And they were shocked. But it was all in line to fulfill the word of God in Psalm 22. Not a bone of his body would be broken. Hmm, I wonder who did that. God did it. And nobody was reading their Bible at that time. They didn't have a Bible, but they weren't reading the, the, the prophets to see, or the book of Psalms to see, that this indeed, as the Roman centurion said, is the Son of God. Amen. It all worked according to his will. So now after his crucifixion, what does this have to do with responsibility? Well, since the cross... The cross declares that we are all without excuse. The Bible says in Acts chapter 17, Paul says there in verses 30 and 31, says truly these times of ignorance God overlooked. Times of ignorance, times before Jesus came on the scene. The times God overlooked some of the ignorance of Israel and their kings and all of that. Yet he would judge them, but he would overlook a lot of their ignorance. God overlooked a lot of their ignorance in the past, but now commands all men everywhere to what? Repent. Because he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world. That day is coming. It's an appointment that everybody's going to keep. Even people who find themselves late to appointments all the time. Amen. Always late, right? I know you'll keep this appointment. He will judge the world in righteousness, how? By the man 
the man, hallelujah, that's Jesus, whom he has ordained. He has given assurance of this to all by raising him from the dead. How do I know God's going to judge the world? Because Jesus lives. <laughs> Every other religious leader who made claims is still in the grave. Jesus is risen. The Bible says, how do we know this is going to happen? Because he lives. So we, there, we are without excuse. And that's what he's saying to his Jewish audience. Paul is saying to his Jewish audience there in Antioch of Pisidia. So he takes them through this, this history lesson and all and takes them through the, uh, the responsibility path. And, and so they're listening. And, and then he fi finally brings them to what I call the interventional path. And I chose the word interventional because of its definition. And then because there is an intervention, if you will, by God, as we'll see. The interventional path, interventional, it means the definition is pertaining to the act of intervening, interfering, or interceding with the intent of modifying the outcome. Woo, I love that. Thank you, Jesus. He modified my outcome. Amen. He modified our outcome by sending the Son of God. So he says here in verse 30, God says, but God. Amen. Underline that in your Bible. Every time you see that, but God. You rejected him. You were unfaithful. Yet God fulfilled his purpose anyway. But God. But God raised him from the dead. He has seen. He was seen rather for many days by those who came up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem. His disciples who are his witnesses to the people. Amen. But God. Amen. Oh my goodness. There's a but God in every believer's life, amen, where God intervened a time when God interrupted our course. We were heading straight to hell itself, and God interrupted your plans, amen. You thought you were, you were going in the right path. There's a way that seems right unto man, but it leads to destruction, the Bible says. You thought you were going on the right path, but it was leading you straight to hell. And thank God that he interrupted your trip, amen, interrupted your path, amen, that he might change your outcome. From an eternal hell to an eternal heaven. Everlasting life through faith in Jesus Christ. I'm glad God changed my outcome. Are you? Yes. Romans chapter 5 verse 6 says, For when we were still without strength, when we were still sinners in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. I'm glad he did. Thank you, Lord. Now here we see Paul's declaration of dependence. A declaration of dependence leading to liberation. In Christ, a declaration of dependence not based on some nice positive words, but a declaration of dependence based upon the glorious resurrection of Jesus Christ. Amen. Verse 32, Bible says, and we declare to you, Paul says, glad tidings. That means good news, the gospel. That promise, the promise that you guys heard about, which was made to our fathers, to the fathers, to the Jewish fathers. God has fulfilled this for us their children, and that he has raised up Jesus, as it is also written in the second Psalm, Psalm 2, verse 7, you are my son, today I have begotten you, and that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption. He has spoken thus, I will give you the sure mercies of David, Psalm 55, verse 3. That's where that's recorded. Therefore, he also says in another song that you will not 
allow your Holy One to see corruption. In other words, he would not stay in the grave. And then he says in verse 36, For David, after he had served his own generation by the will of God, fell asleep, was buried in his fathers, with his fathers, and saw corruption. In other words, David is not your salvation. But Jesus is. Because David's dead and buried. He didn't rise again, but Jesus did. Verse 37, but he whom God raised up saw no corruption. He's making this point. He's connected with them historically. He showed them their responsibility. And now he's saying this is how God intervened. And the proof of that intervention is that Jesus is risen from the dead. Hallelujah. Amen. This is the point that Paul the apostle is making. Christ is risen from the dead. In verse 36, uh, verse, uh, sorry, verse 38, he says, Therefore, let it be known to you, brethren, that through this man is preached to you the forgiveness of sins, and by him everyone who believed is justified. For from all things from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. What the law was too weak to do, Paul says in Romans chapter 8, God did, amen, by sending his son, amen. The law, you keeping the law, trying to be a good boy, a little, you know, good little girl, you couldn't do it on your own because you were flawed, you were a sinner, and all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. What the law could not do, that it was too weak to deliver you, God did, amen, by sending his son, Jesus Christ, to die for us in our weakness, amen. Amen. That we might be raised with him to justification. We're justified in Christ. We're forgiven. Our sins are forgiven. We've been justified. And what does it mean to be justified? Well, you know, the old definition, just as if I had never sinned. To stand in the presence of God, Romans 8, 1, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. To stand before God, innocent as a newborn babe. That's justification. All your sins washed away because you've been forgiven through the blood of Jesus Christ by putting your faith in him. You know, I hear the people on this in, you know, screaming and protesting and all of that. And, you know, sometimes, I mean, if you're like me, you kind of get angry and you wonder, you know, with the breakdown of the laws in our nation and all this kind of stuff. And I'm not talking about peaceful demonstrations, I'm talking about people who are breaking stuff and busting up stuff and hurting folks and shooting people, you know. And I think about that, I think, you know, this, you know it's, it's, a, it's a really bad thing. And sometimes I kind of get angry and God reminds me that the righteousness of God is not accomplished through the wrath of man. Amen. So you need to check your attitude, Al. And then he said, listen closely. Listen, take another listen. Listen carefully. Listen. What do you hear? Just a bunch of people screaming. No, 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 listen. What you hear is a desperate cry of people who need forgiveness. What you hear is a desperate cry of people who want justification, who need to be justified in the presence of God. And they're so angry and they're so disturbed, they don't know where to turn, so they have to blame somebody. If it's not the police, it's going to be this, it's going to be that. It's what, we've got to blame somebody you know, so I can feel justified. But my friend, when you hear people like that, you see what's going on in our nation, it is a desperate cry in our nation for forgiveness. I don't know if you remember the story or the true story. Of course, now some months ago, whatever, down in, in Texas. And this uh, uh, white police officer, female, 
was going home at night and she went to the wrong apartment, saw an African-American man in there, thought he was in there in her apartment, freaked out, not thinking, stupid, and shoots the guy, kills him. Well, they have the trial, right? Did you see the trial? Remember at the trial that the, the, the man's brother was there and he's a born-again believer? He begged the judge, can I come go down from the stand? Can I please go down? Please go down and just give her a hug. The murderer of his brother. He comes down from the stand. The judge gives permission, and they walk up to each other, and they embrace. And she breaks down, sobbing uncontrollably. You know what she needed? She needed forgiveness. She needed forgiveness. We got a prison full of people in Canyon City and elsewhere in Colorado need forgiveness. People are looking for forgiveness. And they're, they're trying to find it. They're trying to justify their own existence. And sometimes they'll go back to a life of crime or whatever it is. But here's what people really are crying for. They want forgiveness. And then the judge comes down from the bench, too. Did you catch that part? The judge came down from the bench at that trial and, and gave her a hug, too, because the judge was a born-again Christian. And then gave the woman a Bible. Amen? And the media just crucified her for doing that. But I'm here to tell you, you know, I don't know if you've seen that little video. I'm going a little bit long here. That's all right. But what else is new, right? And so there's a little video, video of the two little toddlers running toward each other, one white and one black running toward each other. And they get to and they hug each other. Unless you become as a child, you will not be able to receive or see the kingdom of God. The problem is, is people need to come back to just a childlike faith and say, Father, I need forgiveness. We need an embrace from God. That's what people are crying for. Don't, 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 you know, listen carefully. Don't, don't get mad. Don't get angry. Don't get self-righteous. But listen to the heart cry of our nation. People desperately need forgiveness. And they don't know where to find it. Where do they take their sins? Where do they find their justification? Their innocence. It's only through faith. In Christ. God help us. Romans chapter 4 verse 25 says, Speaking of Jesus who was delivered up because of our offenses, our sins, and was raised because of our justification. Amen. He lives that we might be justified through faith in him. America needs God's divine intervention today, my friend. May God have mercy upon our nation. These words caught my attention from the book of Nehemiah, chapter 9, verse 17. It says, speaking of the nation of Israel, it says, They refused to obey, and they were not mindful of your wonders, O God, that you did among them, but they hardened their necks. And in their rebellion, they appointed a leader to return to their bondage. Amen. <laughs> you know, I, I know we all have, a, we, we need to vote in November and all that good stuff. But don't put your trust in a leader. Because all they can do is return you to bondage. Put your trust in God. But you are God, ready to pardon, gracious and merciful slow to anger hallelujah thank you lord for that one abundant in kindness and did not forsake them may god not forsake our nation and may god not forsake you and he will not and as a believer he said nothing will separate you from the love of god which is in christ jesus
In conclusion, recognition, and Paul takes him down these three paths, but recognition of our history, recognition of our responsibility, and recognition of God's divine intervention leads us all to the cross of Christ. There we find true a true declaration of liberation through total dependence upon Christ, what he has done for us. It's not what we can do for God. It's what God has already done for us. Isaiah 44, verse 22. The Lord God says, I have blotted out like a thick cloud your transgressions and like a cloud your sins. Return to me, for I have redeemed you. Thanks for catching today's episode of Pastor Al Pittman's teaching on the CWCCS podcast. If you haven't already, hit subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you never miss an episode. And if this message hit home for you, share it with a friend. You can also support this ministry and these free teachings by visiting cwccs.org and click on Give. While you're there, you can also find the full archive of teachings from Al Pittman by clicking on the sermons link. That's cwccs.org. Thanks for joining us. This podcast is presented by Calvary Worship Center of Colorado Springs.